Let's open to Matthew chapter 28 this morning. Matthew chapter 28. Specifically, we're going to begin with verse 9. Now, the women are going to tell the disciples about Jesus being raised. We pick it up in verse 9. It says, And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now, while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them his disciples came at night and stole the body away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. But notice... Then the eleven disciples went away to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed to them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Let's pray. Father, thank you for allowing us to come together. Uh, You have given us freedom to come together as we see fit. You have granted us the privilege of worshipping you. And not only that, Lord, you promised wherever two or three would gather in the precious name of Jesus that there you would be with us, and so we know you're here today. To that end, remove anything from our hearts and minds that would not only keep us from hearing you, but obeying you. Father, especially those sitting within the sound of my voice who have never accepted Jesus Christ publicly as their personal Lord and Savior, that you convict them about their need to do that very thing. Lord, the other issues in our lives that we need to turn over to you, Grant us the strength and the courage to do that today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. I want to look at post-resurrection realities this morning. You see, some of the, I guess, best days or the greatest days of Jesus being with his disciples were the 40 days after he rose from the dead. Now I say that because in those days after he rose from the dead... They finally got it. They finally understood all that he had tried to get them to understand. You see, they had gone from sniveling cowards to bravely proclaiming Jesus as Lord and Savior, risen from the dead. You see, their, their lives were changed forever after the resurrection. I think sometimes our present day churches miss this celebration time after we celebrate Easter. You see, we need to understand that somehow we sort of lose emphasis on the resurrection. We, 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 we focus on it at Easter and then sort of forget about it the rest of the year. But do we understand that the same power of the resurrection changes our lives also? The same power of the resurrection gives us hope also? The same power of the resurrection should redirect our lives to right priorities and right living for Jesus? And so when we look today 
We need to understand we need to place proper priorities on Christ and his kingdom after the resurrection. We need to place proper priorities on Christ and his kingdom after the resurrection. So I've got five priorities. If you listen quickly, I'll talk quickly. If you start rolling your eyes, I'm going to slow down like this. Everybody understand? Where did Brian go? Brian, that was the nicest way I've ever heard anybody ask me for a short sermon. Please let it go by quickly. Did y'all catch that? We're going to try, brother, okay? I know you didn't mean that. That's all right. I'm still going to tease you about it. The first priority is this. After Easter, the first priority we have is worshiping Jesus. Worshiping Jesus. Now, I want you to think about worshiping the Savior. Here these guys had been with him for three and a half years. They had heard him in awe. But if I am words of life, they were amazed by his miracles. They held him in awe. But if I'm right, when I read my gospel, even when they bowed down before him, it never says until these verses after the resurrection that they actually worshipped Jesus. Even during the transfiguration, they had it so mixed up. Peter did that he said, look, we'll build a temple for you, for Moses and Elijah, until the cloud overshadowed them. And the father said, this is my beloved son, hear ye him. But when we look at verse 9, it says the ladies worshipped him. And you look at verse 17, and it says the disciples saw him there, and they worshipped him. Because he alone is worthy of worship. Now, what is, what is real worship supposed to be like? I want to describe it like this. It's, it's where we focus on Jesus and everything else falls away. And what do I mean by that? Best illustration, best illustration I could think of, and it, it falls short. I remember my wedding day. Maybe you remember yours. It was very nervous for me because I thought, boy, this is a lot of responsibility. But then Elizabeth was late getting to the church, and I was really worried she wasn't going to show up. I went back by the little brighter booth, and I was leaning into here, and I heard her mama say, it's not too late. You don't have to do this. I said, uh-oh. <laughs> she really did tell her that all the way until she walked down the aisle. I knew where I stood with my mother-in-law. That was her baby. Okay. But here's what I discovered. All those worries, all those things disappeared when I saw Elizabeth, and they opened those doors, and she was in that gown, and she walked towards me. After that, I couldn't tell you who was there. I couldn't tell you basically what I said. All I heard from her mouth was yes, and that's all I wanted to hear. (laughs) But everything else was just sort of a blur. Because my attention was on the love of my life, my bride. When we worship Jesus and we really love Jesus, and we come to this place... With all the hustle and bustle of the world, this is the place where everything else is supposed to fade away and we worship Jesus. And if we're not doing that, we're not doing it correctly. You see, we need to major on lifting him up in our midst. We need to major on Jesus in our worship services. The central to our ministry is that Jesus is magnified. Now, 1 Thessalonians 5.19 tells us, do not quench the Spirit. And I've heard people try to explain that in a lot of ways, but it's really for us. And what does that mean? They want to tell me it means, you know, don't quench the Spirit in worship. Don't quench the Spirit when you're witnessing. Well, it does. To quench the Spirit means to put the fire out. 
but it specifically applies to the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. Okay? That happens in four ways what the Spirit does if you're taking notes. See, the Holy Spirit, first of all, illuminates the Word of God. When you're reading God's Word, don't try to twist it. Don't try to deny it. Don't try to explain it away. That quenches the Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings understanding for God's Word. You should always be praying that the Holy Spirit fills your mind and your heart so you will understand God's Word. The second way we quench it is this. See, the Holy Spirit brings us into intimacy with God the Father. And if we've been out sinning, we can't be real close because we don't feel like being close. There's something wrong. So we need to keep our lives pure so that we have that intimacy that we just talk to the Father and we hear Him talk back. If you're not hearing from the Father, something's wrong with the relationship. And I guarantee it's not because He moved. The third way we quench the Spirit is this. You realize the Holy Spirit glorifies Christ. If in worship we try to glorify anything else... See, it's not about me, it's not about Brother Ronnie, it's not about the specials. As wonderful as they are, it's about Jesus. Anything that takes the glory of Christ quenches the Spirit in our lives. Okay? The fourth thing, the Holy Spirit helps us to know God's will. I promise you, God will tell you His will if you truly seek Him. But when you try to reject God's will, when you try to question it and say, that can't be right... You quench the Spirit's power in your life. The last thing, he grants believers inward strength for sanctification. Inward strength for sanctification means this. He makes us more like Jesus. That's what sanctified means. We become a little bit more like Jesus day by day and week by week. And and when we're involved in things we shouldn't be in, that quenches that, that, that eternal, internal drive to be more like Jesus. When you're partaking of the world, you can't partake of what the Holy Spirit wants to give us towards being like Christ. When you're chasing the things of the world, you can't focus on the kingdom of God. See, so in worship, everything else falls away. Now, that sounds real preachy. Let's get down to the nuts and bolts of this. It's going to insult some people. And I don't mean it to be insulting. Please don't come to me before worship service and say, it's too hot in there. It's too cold in there. You did just fine. Leave it alone. Don't apologize. Okay? If you're cold, bring a coat with you. If you're too hot, don't take off any more clothes. (laughs) The music's too loud. The music's, I can't hear it. We can't balance it perfectly for everyone. Get off of that and focus on Jesus and what the music's trying to tell you. The preacher's too long-winded? Well, I'll work on that. But listen to me. I'm going to say whatever I feel God has for me to say. And if that offends you, I'm sorry. But not really. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. Okay? And so all these distractions, because the devil's going to distract us. How can you preach with the kids moving around? They don't bother me a bit. They won't bother you if you focus on Jesus. They need to be here worshiping as families. Okay? So don't don't do that in worship. Don't do it before the worship service. If you want to ruin something afterwards, ruin it afterwards, but not before. Okay? Everybody understands, right? And don't transfer everything you want to tell me to Brother Galen. 
Do you understand that? He's not the whipping boy. He's not the problem solver, even though he can solve them. He wants to worship too. And he got his he has his plate full. I mean full. Follow him around a week if you don't think it's full. And he does a tremendous job representing Gasville Baptist Church to Carter and Gasville. And I'm proud of him. So don't don't dump it all on him. I'd rather you dump it my way, because I know how to ignore it. He's young yet. He hadn't he hadn't figured that out yet, okay? Because if you tell me stuff before the worship service, I promise you, I won't remember it. You tell me afterwards, I'll write it down and we'll discuss it and we'll have a nice time with it. Okay? All right. Now, the same thing goes for y'all. Don't let people dump stuff into your life before the worship service. It's going to ruin your worship service. Okay? Our Sunday school. Yeah. Why did it get so quiet in here? I didn't think I was scolding anybody. I thought this was a teaching time. So, see, a priority on worshiping Jesus. Just just revel in the Lord. If you haven't done that, if you hadn't just bask in the sunshine, S-O-N, shine, then you need to do that. Nothing refreshes you like being still and knowing that He is God, that He will be exalted on the earth, and He will be exalted among the nations. That's our God, the risen Savior. Enjoy his presence. The second thing we have to do is it has to be a priority. And it's not popular, but we have to accept our duty as the Savior's witnesses. We have to accept our duty as the Savior's witnesses. Now, after the resurrection, I want you to realize that on at least five occasions, Jesus told those disciples and us to witness of him. And we're going to read those. The first one is in this Matthew 28 passage. Go down to verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority. I want you to say that with me. All authority. One more time. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end the age. Amen. That's one. Let's, let's, let's look at some more. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, he says it this way. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Wow. Everybody's supposed to know. And then uh, Luke 24, 47. In Luke 24, 47. In verse 46, he says, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance, my Bible isn't opening, should be preached, and the remission of sin should be preached in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. In John 20, verse 21, So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. That as the Father has sent me, so send I you means in like manner to do the same job. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And he sent us out to do the same thing. Not just the preacher or the youth pastor or the deacons or the music pastor. All of us. 
Because he said this to all of his disciples that were gathered there. And then we all know the Acts uh, 1.8 command. They're asking about the end of the age. And he's going to tell them, hey, that's, you don't worry about that. But he says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. See, after the resurrection, we need to remember, we worship the Savior. Oh, it's wonderful to gather for worship. If you don't like gathering for worship, something wrong. Okay? I love seeing y'all on Sunday mornings. I like watching you fellowship. I love listening to you sing and singing with you. Y'all don't like that? And I like sharing God's word with you. But you see, there comes a time to accept our duty that we are his witnesses. He really expects us to fulfill the duty of being his witnesses. He told us five times to do it. The most disappointing time I ever had as a pastor, I was in a certain church. We had a map. I finally got a map of the little town where we were with all the streets. And we put dots because we'd gone down through the streets and counted houses. And I began to survey and find out who lived there and did they ever attend church? Were they lost? They, if they were lost, I put a little star beside it. In the next dis- business meeting, boy, did I catch it. One of my main deacons, somebody I loved dearly, had never given me not one bit of trouble, says, Brother Gary, you're stirring it up. I said, what? I'm always stirring something up, so I have to ask what? He said, why can't we just leave people alone? You're, bu- you're bugging people. You'll be one known as that preacher who just bugs people. Why can't we just leave people alone? You go to the quietness of their homes and you bug them about Jesus. God did not tell us to leave them alone. He told us to tell them about Jesus. What he was really mad at was that I was getting every house in the neighborhood and we were baptizing black people into a white Southern Baptist church. When it really came out, I told him, here, I would have to leave. In a year, I left. Do you take that responsibility seriously? Do you realize there's no plan B? Jesus didn't say, well, if you don't do it, I'll do it another way. He said, you shall be my witnesses. Everyone here should know at least one of the scripture verses about Jesus, John 3, 16. That's all you have to have to witness because you quote that to him and tell him how Jesus saved you from your sins and how he lives with you and guides you today. That's a witness. You can do it in two minutes or less. I've practiced it. And if I can do it, crippled mind and body, you can say amen. You can do it too. But do we take it seriously? Okay. Let's go on. So we worship the Savior, accept our duty as as his witnesses. But there also has to be a priority that places, how do I want to say it, the significance upon Scripture. The significance upon Scripture. I'm going to read a little bit of, of Luke chapter 24 to you. Luke 24 Beginning verse 25, he's on the road to Emmaus. He's talking with those two disciples who have not recognized him. 
Then he said to them, because they've told him, you know, they was hoping Jesus was the one. They thought his ministry died on the cross. They were so disappointed. They just knew he was the Messiah. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures of the things concerning himself. They drew near to Emmaus. He was going to walk on. They asked him to stay. All at once he breaks the bread. They recognize it's Jesus. And before they can say anything, he disappears. They rush back and tell the disciples, hey, we've seen Jesus. And they said, we have too. But they said this, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us? See, all that we do needs to magnify Jesus, and we use the scriptures to do that. In our Sunday school classes, a great time for fellowship, but cut the fellowship short to honor God's word. It's a great time for prayer list. Don't use up. You've got teachers. I want you to look at me. You have one hour. Teach them the word of God for the whole week. That's all you got. So, yep, take the prayer request. Yep, have a little fellowship, drink some coffee, tease one another, and then get into God's word. We can't replace God's word. You see, now I want you to think about why would I say that the significance of Scripture? Because here these guys are, and they're really hurting, they're really disillusioned, they're down. Jesus doesn't rebuke them, He doesn't tell them who He is. He doesn't try to give them solace or comfort. He shares God's word with them and it lifts them up. He shares God's word with them and it strengthens them. We meet people. They might be backslidden. They might be hurting. They might be dropping off. And we can tell them all kinds of things of what they need to do. But what they really need is to hear the truth of God's word in a compassionate manner. If I love you, I'm going to share God's word with you. If I don't, I'm going to let you stay in your sins. If I love you, I'm going to share God's word with you because the Holy Spirit can use that to minister to your heart in ways I never can. If I love you, I'm going to point you to a book of the Bible you need to read that will help you have peace that I can't give you. Do we understand that? Share God's word. It's the foundation of what we do as a church. Isaiah 55, 11, God said that he would, his word would not come back to him void, but would accomplish what he intended it to accomplish. Romans 10, 17 tells us, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Do we understand that? The fourth priority. I better check my time. Okay, we're going to get out of here. Y'all are listening quick. There must be a priority on sharing the mercy of Jesus that we have experienced. The mercy of Jesus that we have experienced. John chapter 20 gives us two experiences of mercy after Jesus rose from the dead. The first one is in uh, John chapter 20, beginning with verse 24. Now, Thomas was not with the disciples the first time Jesus came. It says in verse 24 of John chapter 20, Now Thomas, called the twin, so he must have been a twin, 
One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. Now, if you've got ten other guys saying they've seen Jesus, it looks like you'd perk up. If you've got women besides that that have seen Jesus at this point, and two of the Emmaus roads say, You ought to just really listen to your brethren. Here's what he does. Unless I see that in his hands the print of the nail, and put my finger in the print of the nails, and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. In the Greek, it means no way, no how, uh-uh, ain't doing it. As strong and negative as you can get, that's what it means. He had to be in a Missourian. You know the show me state? Anybody here from Missouri? You know what I'm talking about. Missouri? That's why they say it. And after eight days, his disciples again were gathered inside, and Thomas with him, and Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. He said to Thomas, reach your finger here. Look at my hands and reach your finger and hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And then you go over to the next chapter of John, John chapter 21. Begin with verse 15. Jesus has called him on shore. They said, John has told Peter, it's, it's Jesus. They've pulled the big net of fish. He's had the coals on the fire. They're eating breakfast and It says, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And we don't know whether he was pointing the other disciples or the fishing equipment or what, but he was saying everything. Do you love me more than all this? The one who denied Christ three times said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. He said, feed my sheep. Now, what's going on here? You got two of the apostles who need some mercy, who need some love, who need some comfort, who really need... Jesus to be merciful to them. Thomas is becoming unbelieving. That's why Jesus said, stop becoming unbelieving, but be believing. That's what the Greek says. And so he encourages him and says, you're a show me kind of guy? Here it is. Reach your hand in that nail print. Who would ever want to do that to the risen Savior? Here's my side, Thomas. Put your hand in here. He falls down and he's reestablished. He receives mercy. Peter who wept bitterly after the rooster crowed because he had denied Jesus, that he even knew him, and he denied it with a curse the last time. He denied three times that he even knew his Savior. And there he is, and Jesus asked him, Do you love me now? Do you love me now? He said, Can you hear me now? Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he reestablished Peter. He received mercy. See, we have a community full of folks that need compassion, mercy, You know, uh, many folks that need that mercy aren't going to receive it from the saints of God. We know them too well. We know what they've done. But we're not going to show Christ's mercy. No, Brother Gary, you don't know how bad they were. You don't know how bad that hurt me. You don't know. No, I don't. But God does. And he said, forgive so we will be forgiven.
You see, the church of today is notorious for shooting its wounded rather than being merciful. People need mercy. I know about you. I need mercy daily. My poor wife is the most merciful person in the world because she lives with me. (laughs) Amen. But listen, we need mercy, and other folks do too. And we need to do it whether they're backsliding believers or lost folks or whoever. We need to practice mercy. The last priority is this when we're done. It's the most unpopular message in our day. Do we understand that honor and glory are preceded by suffering? Honor and glory are preceded by suffering. In Luke chapter 24, verse 26, I'm going to read that verse for you. It says, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And then James chapter 1, verse 12. James 1, 12 says it this way. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. The word there means tribulation, trials, problems, and temptation. For when he has been approved, he will rejoice and receive the crown of life, which the Lord promised to those who love him. You see, before glory... Come suffering. Jesus had to suffer. He did. The saints of God all the way back to Abraham had to suffer. Abraham had to leave everything he know and go to a foreign land that he never really possessed other than the cave he bought to bury his family in and didn't see all the promises of God but he believed in it and therefore he was called a friend of God and suffered in a pagan land. Moses suffered. Had to wander in the wilderness 40 years for somebody else's sin, leading a bunch of knuckleheads. If you don't think they're knuckleheads, read the stories in Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. David had to suffer. Anointed as a king of Israel as a, as a youth, a ruddy boy, had pimples. And yet most scholars think it was 20 years or almost 20 years before he ascended to the throne, even though he was God's anointed. Why? Because he had to hide out from Saul and live in caves on the run, depending on God for everything. I could keep going. Most of the apostles suffered martyrdom. Okay? Everything from being beheaded to hanging upside down on a cross to... Uh, They think that Thomas went to India and was killed by those people with the long spears. That's what church history says. We don't know that for sure, but there's that history that hints at that. John was boiled in oil and it didn't kill him, so he was (laughs) scarred up and hurting and had to live on the Isle of Patmos where he received the book of Revelation. Philippians 3.10 should be our... Touchstone when we suffer. He talks about a lot of things. But he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain the resurrection of the dead. See the, the principle is this. Sometimes we suffer. And we wonder why God doesn't answer our prayers. 
We wonder why he doesn't seem to answer. And we're in the middle of this situation and he knows we're here. Doesn't he love us? Doesn't he care? Yes, he cares. He cares enough to leave us there to grow in faith. He leaves us there so we'll be mature Christians. He leaves us there so that we'll have the refiner's fire. He leaves us there so we'll come out as pure gold on the other end of the trial. He leaves us there so we'll be useful to the kingdom after it. Is it fun? Everybody do this. Is it useful? In God's priority it is. We're going to have a day when we have honor and glory as we enter heaven and are given the crown of life that we will throw at the feet of Jesus who is worthy. But we get it. Come on in, kids. The table's ready. Come on in. I've prepared a place for you. What glory. What honor. It comes after the suffering of this life. Don't forget that. Someday. We'll be able to say as Paul said. I rejoice. Again I say rejoice. And then he lists all the things that happened to him. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes. Some need to come this morning. And accept Jesus as Savior. And truly worship him. Some need to come this morning committed to be a better witness. Some need to come this morning and want to show more compassion on others. Some need to come this morning and lay their burdens at the altar. There are other decisions that need to be made. Some need to come and join this church. We love you being here, but God wants you to join. Place your membership here. Go to work here. We need you. God needs you. And you need to join. There are other decisions that need to be made. And you need to come and do that. For the priority of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time, for your word, for the Holy Spirit being here. I just ask your will and only your will be done during this invitation time. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.